0: I didn't do that, and I feel guilty. It's really easy to confess it, it's very easy to wrap words around it. Shame is a different message. It isn't that I did wrong, it's that I am wrong. It's not just I made a mistake, shame is I am a mistake. I have failed to achieve some ideal. And now I am fundamentally flawed. Shame speaks to your identity. It speaks to your worthiness. So how do we find ourselves then in this swampland? How do we find ourselves in the swampland of shame? How do we find ourselves in this place that will shape and, and determine everything? It can be that something happened to us. Shame can start by something happened. Sometimes it can be uh, shame happens because of divorce. Um, A person was married and that person goes off and has an affair, then leaves the other person feeling unworthy to connect and to belong. Now that person feels, I am flawed, I am less than, I was rejected, now I'm not as valuable as I used to. Shame can come in because because see this one person in the marriage has an affair and and the marriage is reconciled, but that person feels shamed because they 've done something that leaves them feeling flawed and broken and not worthy really to be seen and known anymore. Shame can come in because of you launched a business and the business didn 't grow as fast as you 'd hoped it would. Shame can be you just live in comparison with other people. So it can be an event, something that happened, something that was spoken, something that you did, something that was done to you. But it also can be the messages that we hear all around us, the messages that we kind of marinate in all the time. It's not that there was a traumatic event or something significant was done or said or not done. It can just be We live in a world that is all the time speaking messages that can leave us feeling shame, feeling unworthy, not enough to really connect and really belong. It can be messages like, you're not pretty enough. It can be messages like, you're not thin enough. You're not good enough. It can be messages like, you're not smart enough. So, I heard a story about one guy. He would walk in the room and he would rank everybody in the room by their intelligence. And if he felt he was the most intelligent person in the room, he felt worthy to connect and to belong in that room. If he felt he wasn't the most intelligent, he felt unworthy to connect and to belong. I'm not intelligent enough to be significant in this room. I'm not intelligent enough to really, really belong. You can see that it works powerfully in comparison. The messages around Facebook, how many followers you have can be a shaming message if you don't have many followers, if not many people click like, Or your life doesn't look comparatively as exciting as someone else's life. So Sunday afternoons for church leaders can be shame fest. As other people show their highlights of their, their churches and their success. And you look at your own and in comparison you might feel shame. I'm not enough. I'm not a good enough leader. It can be I don't feel spiritual enough to really connect and to really belong It can be, I don't hear God like other people hear God. And shame can be like static in our minds that stop us actually hearing God because we don't feel we're spiritual enough. It can be, I'm not important enough. So we can see that the swampland is not a good thing. It's not a good place to stay. Another way of describing shame is the dry rot of the soul. (laughs) We've got dry rot at the moment in our church building. And I've learned quickly that they say if you do not treat dry rot, get rid of dry rot and get rid of the damp, it will eat the whole building. (laughs) So you need to sort it out. So the question is, if we know that shame is so debilitating and destructive, if we know that shame can destroy and shape and stop us dreaming and connecting, why on earth would we want to stay in the swampland of the soul? Why on earth would we want to remain living with the dry rot of the soul, shame? Why would we accommodate it? Why would we live with it? Why wouldn't we do something radical and treat it and get rid of it? Why wouldn't we be like the people on Bear Girls the Island where they realise I can't live in shame, we can't exist in shame, we can't, or we can't exist in the swampland, or we can't survive in the swampland, we've got to get to the beach. Why don't we have the same urgency with shame? The first thing is this, that true and deep belonging and connection requires something really important. It requires that we are truly seen and truly known. So, we want to really connect and we want to really belong at a deep, deep level. That demands that we're seen and truly known. But connection and belonging is absolutely fundamental to us. And we're absolutely terrified of the fear of disconnection. So rather than risk the trauma of disconnection, we choose to hide the swampland. So we want connection and belonging. We know that true connection and belonging really requires that we're seen and truly known, but that feels way too risky. So the preference is I'm going to hide in the swampland because if I was truly seen and truly known, if people truly saw both my strengths and my struggles, they might reject me, they might be disappointed with me, they might think, who do you think you are? So it's much safer to hide. Shame makes it absolutely unbearable to be seen. That's why it's so deadly in any community. It makes it unbearable to be truly seen and truly known. For men, for men and women, according to researchers, shame is experienced in exactly the same way. For both men and women, it is a highly traumatic emotion that's like a shudder in the, sh- in the soul. And for men and women, shame is experienced in the same way. But the source of shame for men and women, according to researchers, is quite different. For men, it's this. Do not let anybody know that you are weak. That's the message, fundamentally, for men. Let no one see that you're weak. If you let anybody see that you're weak or struggling or can't cope you will be unworthy to truly connect and belong. Hide that, cover that, live in the swampland. Hide your failures, hide your struggles, hide your weaknesses. Researchers say for women, the message is different. It's do everything perfectly. That the message for women, according to research, is you've got to be the perfect mum who balances everything perfectly, the perfect wife who balances everything perfectly, the person who can do their job perfectly, do everything perfectly and don't let anybody see that you struggle or find it difficult. That according to research, the moment a woman says, I'm not coping, balancing all these complexities is a moment of shame. For men it's weakness and for women it's doing everything perfectly. That shame Loves to speak the lie, you are all alone. You are the only person in the world and in the universe who struggles like you struggle. Shame absolutely loves secrecy and silence. Shame thrives on the fear of judgment. Because judgment is, you are now unworthy to connect and to belong. And like we've said, to connect and to belong is our fundamental need. And that's what's so traumatic if we think we're not worthy. That shame will lead us to masking our flaws, to hiding. And shame will lead us to chameleon our way through the day. You know the chameleon. That it's red if it's in a red environment, it's, it's blue if it's in a blue environment, it's yellow if it's in a yellow environment. Shame is deadly at causing people to wear masks and perform. We could argue that in 2 Corinthians where Peter is really happy to eat with the Gentiles, he's really happy to connect and to belong with the Gentiles, he's happy to eat what they eat, he's happy... To connect to them. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to eat special things. Peter is really happy to connect. But then some people from Jerusalem. From James comes. And he wants to connect and belong to them too. And so he chameleons himself. And almost says no the Gentile guys are unclean. I don't connect to them. And he performs and pretends. And rejects them. That shame is even more powerful than the fact he's had an incredible experience with God in a trance where God said to him personally, don't call anything unclean. I think shame in that moment is so powerful, it causes him to change who he is, to wear a mask, to perform and disconnect to other people. And Paul confronts him to his face and says, you know what, this is hypocrisy. I'd say shame was underneath the hypocrisy. I need to be liked by the people from James. They're really important. And these guys, really, their opinion doesn't matter as much. And and Paul confronts it. It led Barnabas astray. It, It was actually affecting the gospel. And Paul confronts it. He says, no, you can't hide. You can't wear a mask. You've got to be what the gospel has made you to be. So shame has a huge price tag has a huge price tag shame will cause you to miss out that shame is the secret killer of innovation, shame is the secret killer of creativity, shame is the killer of uh, of experimentation, shame will undermine risk taking, shame is the cause of meals not being cooked. That dream, I want to have a meal and host some people and bring them around. But then you think, what will they think if it's not quite perfect? Shame will cause books not to be written. Songs not to be sung. Conversations not to be had. Shame, Shame will stop dreams being outworked. The greatest pain is to spend your life on the outside. Wondering what would have happened if I had truly been seen and I had truly been known. But Shame has one more kind of trick up its sleeve. If you do push through and say, and take that risk and do that experiment and write that book and write that song and do that thing. If you do it and your worthiness and identity is attached to it shame then has everything it needs to hijack and control your whole, whole life. That if you think, I know what, I'll be worthy to connect and to belong if I do this, and then you do it, shame will come alongside and say, I now want to help you with the fear of loss. It will whisper in your ear, If you don't make this last, if you don't, if you ever lost this, you would be nothing again. And so it can leave people spending their whole life proving, trying to prove themselves. That's why you can have multi-millionaires who are living in shame. It will cause you to protect, better not anything to touch this. So it might be that experimentation and risk got you there, but shame will keep it small because you'll think, I've got to protect this. I can't risk losing this. Shame will keep you pleasing people, pleading with people, placating for people, performing for people. So hopefully from there we know, we want to get out of shame, don't we? We can see that it's a deadly, lethal, terrible, dry rot of the soul. So the question is, how do we walk out of shame? How do we walk out of the swampland of shame? The answer is the gospel. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. Grace is divine empowerment that comes to us right here, right now, right in this moment and says, I see you, I like you. Father says, I see you completely and I completely like you. Right now, right here. Not if, not if you were more mature. Not if you were more successful. Not if you were more bold or more courageous. Right now, not if, not when, your worthiness right now. No need to struggle for it. No need to hustle for it. No need to perfect for it. No need to perform for it. Right here, right now, you are enough. Right now. It's what grace will come alongside and say, Paul says, I am what I am. Grace, grace provides the capacity to be authentic and vulnerable. So, we know Superman and we know that he's, greatest weakness is kryptonite he can't survive kryptonite he can fly he can see through walls he's a man of steel but he cannot cope with kryptonite shame has kryptonite or a vulnerability shame cannot stand authenticity and vulnerability shame cannot cope With words being wrapped around it. Shame dies when someone is freed by grace to be authentic and vulnerable and articulate even the worst about them. So Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be be called an apostle. Why? I'm going to wrap words around it because I persecuted the church of God. Grace is so powerful that Paul can take his worst sin and say the worst I ever did has nothing to do with my identity now. I can wrap words around it. I can own it. I can describe it. I can say in all the logical thing of the world, I'm unworthy really to be called an apostle, to really connect and to belong and to be loved and to serve these churches. But... I am what I am by the grace of God. There are two things that we never graduate from. Never graduate or move on from. Faith and Holy Spirit. To get grace's message in us, we have to say, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to rest in it, I'm going to bank on it, I'm going to rely on it, I'm going to depend on it, I'm going to trust it, I'm going to believe God, trust God, bank on God. And even though I've marinated in a culture of language of you're not enough, you're not this enough, intelligent enough, smart enough, thin enough, pretty enough, spiritual enough, I will not marinate in that message. I will marinate in the truth of what God says. In in Galatians 3 it says, how did you receive the Spirit? How did God work miracles amongst you? Was it the works of the flesh or was it the hearing with faith? That we actually get filled with the Holy Spirit through hearing with faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. and, And we get filled with the Holy Spirit by connecting what we're hearing and hearing it with faith. So we're marinating in all these messages... But grace becomes an empowering experience when I say, I will believe it, rest in it, trust on it, bank on it, rely on it. This is how God sees me. I'm worthy now. Not who I may be in the future. Not if I could achieve X, Y and Z. It's right now. And then grace so empowers worthiness through banking on God and trusting in God and relying on God. It makes us able to be authentic and vulnerable and wrap words around because we don't need to be secretive and we don't need to be silent and we don't need to fear judgment. So when we, when we speak, I don't feel enough, I don't feel this enough or intelligent enough or smart enough, when we speak it and then we meet empathy in community... That when someone brings out the worst or their struggles or their strengths and it's met with empathy, it creates a culture where people are bit by bit able to show themselves more and more. That people are able to walk out of the swampland bit by bit more and more. That walking out of the swampland isn't like a ta-da moment where we just were in shame and now who, this is who I am. It's I'm being led out. I'm being unfolded. I'm, I'm seeing who I am. I'm seeing how he made me. I'm seeing the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I have. I'm unfolding. I'm, I'm stepping out. I'm walking towards the beach. I'm walking towards more and more the experience of the reality that I've already loved. That I'm going to show you my struggles, but I'm also going to show you my strengths. Because the other message that shame has, it has the message of you're not enough. And it's other message is, Who do you think you are? The under, undergirding false humility is shame. Who do you think you are anyway? And so we hide our strengths as well. Notice that Jesus doesn't hide his strength. He goes to his hometown. They're kind of bringing some shaming messages about him. Who do you think you are? We know about you. We know about you and your past and the shady way in which you were born. We know. Who do you think you are? I'll tell you who I am. I'm the one promised. I'm going to raise the dead, heal the sick, open the blind eyes, heal the leper, cause people to hear. I'm going to set the prisoner free. I'm going to release the cap. That's who I am. Grace empowers us to say who we are. Our strengths, because we're not, a, we're not scared anymore of people saying, who do you think you are? And grace will lead us to that place of saying, I like being me. One of my most shaming moments of my life happened around choosing my O-levels or GCSEs or CSEs or whatever they were. And very working class family. My granddad had gone to work at a particular factory. My dad had gone to work at a very particular factory. And I was completely not practical. And actually, I wasn't particularly very academic. And I could. my dad was in fear of what's going to happen to this guy. Because he, 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 he clearly can't do anything practical. And I don't really see anything academic about him either. And I guess out of um, a sense of wanting to motivate and, and, and push me on, he said these words that became shaming words, really. You will never fit into a man's world. You will never fit into a man's world. So I suddenly thought to be enough to truly connect and belong in a man's world or any world, I believed the message that said I need to become able and practical. And if I can't be that, then I'm never going to be worthy to connect and to belong. So I carry that message into married life. A practical, a a husband needs to be practical. Needs to be able to fix things, mend things, repair things. And there goes five years of DIY disasters starting. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle goes out. I think I... I could fit that telephone cable. It can't be that hard to drill that side and drill the other side. It surely, I uh, put the drill in, it's not long enough. I think, oh, it must be pretty easy to measure up the other side. They're not realising they don't connect that easily, and a whole load of plaster just falls. Ah, oh. She cried, actually, that day. <laughs> Bless and I felt shame. So another t- occasion, we've, we've moved to Denmark and uh, we're going to put a light up. And I said, I can do that. I can do that. That's just putting that one there, that there. And I'm not exaggerating. Four and a half hours later, I'm still struggling to put a light up. In the end, you know what? I, I, I swallowed my pride and I said, please do this. Thinking, if it takes her an hour, that would be good. Because at least it would show it wasn't anything to do with me. Ten minutes later. <laughs> shame struggles to say well done. <laughs> Putting up IKEA furniture. That was shame fest. Fitting things in the back of a boot when you don't have spatial awareness. But I remember one time I was trying to fix a door handle and the handle just fell off. And I I felt in my heart I heard God laugh. That he thought it was funny. I love your quirks. I love your limitations. See, grace comes to us and says, You are what you are. And you don't have to be what other people would want you to be. Grace invites us to ask, hey, is that message even realistic? I know it feels true that to connect and to belong in a man's world you need to be practical, but is that really realistic? Actually, is that what people really need? Is that what Rochelle really needed? Is it even attainable? And even if it was attainable, do I really want to be that? So grace liberates us to reflect and ask those things. And to land then. Brenny Brown in her book, Gifts of Imperfection, this researcher who's written books on shame says, as long as we care about connection, the fear of disconnection will always be a powerful force in our lives. As long as we care about connection, the fear of disconnection will always be a powerful force in our lives. That we're always going to need to be developing shame resilience. Because we always want to connect and we always want to belong. And that we always know that true connection and belonging requires that we're truly seen and truly known. So we need to develop this capacity of, I quickly recover whenever I hear a shame, shaming message about myself or the circumstances I'm in. Like, you've got a brand new job and you've been promoted and you're just wondering, am I good enough to succeed? And shame is whispering, you're not enough. Part of shame resilience is walking through and admitting to somebody else, I'm afraid of being a failure. I'm afraid of not being enough. I'm afraid of not being intelligent enough. Being shame resilient requires that you know when you're in shame. What are the messages that you know are shaming for you? Know when you're in shame so that you can walk out of shame and walk out of the swampland really, really quickly without making a camp there and starting to live there. Shame can suddenly creep up on us. It can come on us in a moment when you're a, maybe you're a mum or a dad and you just, you've got so much going on and you, you just snap and you don't say it as kindly and as nicely as you would like to have said it. And suddenly you feel the shame message come over you. You're not a great dad. You're not a great mum. In those moments, shame resilience means being kind and being compassionate with yourself. Being gentle with yourself. Saying, hey... Just say sorry. Own that. but Be kind to yourself. Hey, I think you're trying to do too much at the moment. You're trying to balance too many things, spin too many plates. You need to ask for help. You need to tell somebody you can't do it all. You need to invite in people. Be kind to yourself. Don't use harsh self-criticism when you're in shame. It will drive you into the swampland. We've, been, we've kind of been brought up in the idea because of authority figures or parents or teachers that being harsh and critical is a motivator to maturity. It isn't. It drives us back in the swampland. Kindness and compassion to ourselves when we're in shame or we're feeling a shame message is so vital. It's so important. Wendy Backland says, if you would not use a sentence as a counseling tool on someone else, do not use it on yourself. Talk to yourself kindly. Talk to yourself gently. As you're walking out of shame and you suddenly find yourself hiding or pleasing or placating or fearing, be kind to yourself. Celebrate the fact that you noticed it for the first time and you're not going to accommodate it and go again. Celebrate progress, not perfection. Have people that you can be courageous with and authentic with. Develop a group of people who know you, who you know, who you can say when you're in shame, who know your strengths, who know your struggles, who deeply know you. People who you can wrap words around and articulate when you're in shame. If you don't have them, make it a goal even this year. I want six people in my life whose opinion of me are the most important opinions that I can have. I'm going to have six people that I, I talk to and I'm vulnerable with and I'm authentic with. So that you can reach out to them. I'm going to pray for us. Yeah, God, I thank you for the amount of gifts and talents and dreams and capacities that are in this room. And God, I just say that if any dreams have been held back because of shame or the fear of not being enough... I pray even today for the courage for people to say, I will walk out of the swampland. I will do this thing. I won't let shame hold me back. I pray for any here who just find themselves performing and chameleon their way through the day. I pray for the capacity to be seen and truly known. And God, we pray for the gospel to really work in our hearts we pray that you would make us fearless in being ourselves. That we would be fearless and not fearing criticism. That we wouldn't even be living in a kind of fantasy world of imagining us hitting self-esteem home runs. And, and, but we would just be pleased to be ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 21, I think, then to 4 to 7, he says, essentially, he says, I don't care what you think of me. And then he says, do you know what? I don't really care what I think of me. I only care what God thinks of me. And so we pray for that, com- that capacity to be in community, to be open, to be teachable, to be seen, to be neat, to be known and to walk deeply and yet without the crippling effects of shame. In your name, Jesus. Amen.